And so gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth and the reflections of our hearts and minds together today be found pleasing in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Friends, as well as hoping that one day we will finally have that series of sermons working through Deuteronomy together, I'm also, for no reason that I've ever been particularly able to work out, been drawn to the idea of us taking a detailed walk through the Apostle Paul's Thessalonian letters. So maybe that'll happen at some time in the new year too. But having thought last Sunday about what it means to be a people committed to the justice of God's kingdom, and if you weren't able to join us, you can catch that on our YouTube channel or on our website. This morning, we're going to continue reflecting on what it means to be a community of disciples by reflecting on some of Paul's final words in his first letter to the church in Thessalonica. Now, 1 Thessalonians is certainly one of the first of Paul's letters to be written. It was sent to a young church founded in the Greek city of Thessalonica just two or three years before they received this letter. The church there is already full of life and bubbling with energy. There's plenty of questions, a few issues, and above all, a real sense of the power and presence of the living God who has changed the world through Jesus and is now at work in a new way through the Holy Spirit. Paul is writing to them to encourage this young church. He praises them for their faithfulness, despite the persecution and struggles that they're facing. He wants to emphasise afresh the hope that they have because of the resurrection and the second coming of Christ. He goes on to challenge them to please God in the way that they live, encouraging them to care for each other and to play their part by being good citizens. And as we drift towards chapter five, Paul is giving them some final instructions. He's talking to them about how to prepare for Christ's return and how to ground the hope of their faith in the way they live. So let's look at how he lays it out for them. They're to acknowledge those who work hard amongst them, to live in peace with each other, to warn those who are idle and disruptive, to encourage the disheartened, to help the weak, to be patient with everyone. They're to make sure nobody pays back wrong for wrong. They're to strive to do what is good for each other, to rejoice always, to pray continually, to give thanks in all circumstances, to not quench the spirit, to not treat prophecies with contempt, to hold on to what is good, rejecting every kind of evil. It's quite a list. And you know, I think some of those things are hard to hold together too. Is it possible to live in peace and warn those who are disruptive? Is it possible to make sure nobody pays back wrong for wrong and give thanks in all circumstances? The answer is surely yes, as we have this list before us, but they're not easy needles to thread. I read this week and I liked this, uh, like trying to do all of this is like learning a new language. Early Christianity had all these little rules and guidelines. The Christian faith has its own grammar and way of understanding. And the goal is to move beyond just learning the vocab list to taking it in sufficiently so that we're fluent and it becomes natural to us. When we learn our mother tongue, we don't tend to learn the rules or even know there's such a thing as grammar. We pick it up from those around us. 
when we want to add a new language to it, we have to work at it more. We experiment and we try it out. I remember one occasion on a holiday in Portugal, feeling really pleased that I'd learnt some phrases that I thought would be useful from my little guidebook that I'd got from the money exchange. And in it, I learned how to ask, how much is this? And I was in a gift shop buying a present for a friend. And I went up and said to them very proudly in Portuguese, how much is this? The problem was they then assumed I could speak Portuguese. So they told me how much it was. Um, But I didn't understand uh, what the Portuguese numbers were. And I had no idea. I bought it anyway. Unfortunately, it wasn't too expensive. Or we learn languages with little rhymes and mnemonics and things to help us, don't we? I remember the song that I learnt my first year at secondary school uh, about how to, we had to ask our teacher if we wanted to take our blazer off in the lesson. And so we learnt the song uh, together and that still sticks in my mind. I can still ask very politely to take my blazer off in French, although not do a lot more. And so just as we learn language, we learn behaviour in a similar way. We see how those around us behave and we pick it up without it being thought through or with deliberate rules or rhymes. If we grow up in a household where those around us do a lot of shouting, we assume this is how we should behave. If people around us are kind and patient, there's a good chance we'll pick this up too. One of the things that I do when I'm working through marriage preparation classes with a couple is to talk about the households they've grown up in and the patterns of behaviour that they have absorbed. I remember doing one set of marriage preparation where in in one of their houses, if you didn't shout about it, it just didn't count. You weren't passionate enough. You weren't engaged. And in the other house, nobody ever raised their voice. And the idea of someone shouting meant the world was ending. And so learning to live together for them was going to be an interesting challenge. But we pick these things up from those around us. And with our faith, I'd love to get to the point where I don't need to think about it uh, and where it all just came naturally and it was like my mother tongue, don't you? We strive to have God's ways written on our hearts. We're told in Romans that this is part of the Spirit's work in our lives. But you and I know that this doesn't happen overnight. And it isn't just something that happens secretly in our own heart or mind without any effort or intervention from us. Instead, God's Spirit brings us fluency in this new language through some key things listed by Paul here in his letter to the church in Thessalonica. First, he talks about teachers and leaders. And one of the ways in which God helps us grow is through those around us who can, whether through their words and actions, deliberately or just by being themselves, show us something of the way. We are to cherish these people. They are important to us. That doesn't mean we'll always want to hear what they have to say or that they don't have language skills of their own to work on. But it does mean we should endeavour to listen to what God might be saying to us through them. When Paul writes about this in his letter, it's all the more remarkable considering that the leaders in the church uh, there had only been Christians a short time themselves. Already there were some amongst them that God had called and equipped to serve the church in this way. But whilst we're talking about this, though, can I just sound one little note of caution? Much of our life over recent months has moved online. Many of us have had the opportunity over these past months to explore and take in teaching from a variety of places. And so much of that has been good and helpful. But some of it 
Well, not so much. Just because you can find it on the internet doesn't mean it's worth listening to. The same goes for books too, I guess, but it's even easier online. So we listen and we see what God might have to say to us, but we do that with our brains switched on. Don't be afraid to think or to say that doesn't quite sit right with me. How do you square that with this? Talk about it with someone else. See what they think. Don't be afraid of asking questions. Secondly, Paul suggests that we help learn this language um, with one another in Christian community, fellow disciples, the church. Lord knows no church is without its issues, but it's in community that we learn so much of what it means to be a Christian. We commit to growing in our faith together and we learn from each other. Sometimes it's a pearl of wisdom that we hear, or sometimes it's because someone gives us a really good opportunity to practice being patient and forgiving. But Paul's saying even more than that here. We have a responsibility to look out for each other. We're to actively work for the good of those around us and in our community. In old Baptist circles, you'd sometimes use the phrase to walk with and watch over one another. Now, I'm not a fan of heavy shepherding. I think you can go too far down that road and be caught up in dynamics that are very unhelpful. But our commitment to one another must be sufficiently strong that we can hear those gentle challenges and difficult questions, as well as helping the weak and doing our best to be patient. Striving to do what is good for each other and everyone else involves far more than simply going along for the ride but necessitates good relationships and a willingness to grow beyond what is nice and what is comfortable. And then in the final flourish of Paul's words, we almost, it almost reads like a list that's designed to be easy to memorise. You could imagine them being repeated with a simple rhyme or with a rhythm or a tune to help them stick in our brain. And you know, the whole thing, the end of this list feels quite joyful it could easily be read to the Thessalonians or to us as something that's heavy on duty and responsibility and energy sapping demands but it doesn't read like that to me it feels hopeful joyful even learning to thank God for whatever comes our way is difficult but it's part of how we celebrate and remember the lordship of Jesus over the world Yes, we want to be sure not to quench the spirit, but that's because the spirit is at work, changing things for the better. And the foundation for all of these things is, of course, the faithfulness of God. One of the most significant things about Jesus in Paul's letters is that in Christ, God has demonstrated God's faithfulness to all of creation. And we are held and sustained by that same faithfulness. None of this is about us simply having to try harder to behave and hoping for the best. It's always about outworking as best that we can the difference that a faithful, forgiving and loving God has made to our lives. Friends, the one who calls you is faithful. The one who calls you is at work in your life today. The one who calls you has died so that your sins might be forgiven. The one who calls you has a life that is more full, more vibrant, more peaceful and more fluent for you.
may you know God's richest blessing as you seek it and live it out. Amen. Amen.